Good day wherever you're listening from and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio. It's Friday, September 18th. I've got August on my notes. 2015. It's episode 383. My name is Radio Joe Hughes here with me in the studio at Central City, Pennsylvania, Studio D, is our engineer, John. You gotta have faith. Joining me from Studio C in McKee's Rocks is my co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. Hello, Joe. Hello, everybody. Hello, Cliff. Uh, an interesting day yesterday. Maybe we'll have a chance to chat a little on that. Uh, our guests today are me. I'm going to talk a little bit. We're going to do a little little report today, early today, some industry issues, industry news. And then for the second half of the show, we're going to have the editor of the IICRC Journal, the uh, Cleaning and Restoration Journal. It's a journal with scientific articles in it, Mr. John Downey. Before we start, let's make sure our listeners know about the IAQ Radio Healthy Building Summit coming up at Seven Springs, Pennsylvania. You can learn more about it on the IAQ Training Institute website. And most important, let's thank our marquee sponsors. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon.com. Clean Facts, the number one information source for cleaning and restoration professionals. Check them out at cleanfactswithanx.com. IAQ.net and Healthy Indoors Magazine a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions available at IAQ.net. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IAQ Radio when you acquire about their products or services. Okay, you can stream the show directly from our new webpage, iaqradio.com. You can also now search for previous shows. Just type a topic or a, a name of a guest in, and you can pull it up. And, of course, you can also pull up the Z-Man's blog from each show, which are really a great uh, resource for people out there. All right, let's turn it over to that one and only Z-Man for today's IAQ Radio trivia question. Thanks, Joe. Win a cool prize by out-competing fellow IAQ Radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the IAQ Radio trivia question each week. Submitting your answer is easy. Either email it to czalotnik at cs.com, or if you're listening to the show live, you can text in the answer via your computer. Sorry to report. No correct answer to last week's trivia question. The IEQ Radio Trivia Question for Friday, September 18, 2015, has been sponsored by Triska, the Tri-State Restores and Specialty Cleaners Association, who have been serving the needs of and advocating for their members for over 30 years. Remember, Triska is your link to industry training, certification, standards, and events. Their website is trsca.org. Now for today's IQ Radio Trivia Question. 
when did the history of scientific journals begin? Back to you, Joe. Okay, well, today we're going to do something a little different. We're going to call it Radio Joe Reports, and then for the second half of the show, we're going to have John Downey. He's the editor of the IICRC Journal. John is uh, actually also a fourth generation, I believe, uh, at least a multi-generational carpet cleaner, and he's got a company called Downey's Carpet Care of Granville. They're in the Columbus, Ohio area, and John was also the founder of Clean Facts magazine. He is currently the editor of the IICRC's journal, which is a scientific journal that uh, includes research information, research papers on cleaning and restoration related issues. But before we go there, uh, let's let's talk a little bit about some current events. Cliff, um, go ahead, I wanna turn no it over problem. to you. Okay, hang on one second. John Lapo there snagged that trivia question. Probably took him less than 60 seconds. So uh, I'll note that. Maybe we can get him last week's too, since uh, he's on the line. What was uh, last week? That's right. I can't remember I'll what last to, week. Pull it back out and put it in there. Well, Joe, uh, we're a couple of weeks away now from the Healthy Healthy Biz or uh, Healthy Building Summit, and chances are some of our listeners may not be familiar with the event and what you have planned, how long you've been doing it, so on and so forth. Uh, you know who the faculty is, what's going to happen. So why don't you fill the listeners in on that? I'd like to briefly discuss that, Cliff, and then then we'll uh, get into some other current events. But but the reason I th- I think this is a current event, it's kind of new what we're doing this year, in that we're talking more about research, and, and the theme is research to practice. The past two years, and we've been gathering people for eight years now, what we used to call the summer break at Indian Lake. I live at a little community up here in the central Pennsylvania mountains called Indian Lake, Pennsylvania. And we had our summer break here for about five years where people would come up and mostly these were our subcontract people that helped with courses and, and friends of the the institute and friends of the show. We'd have a gathering where we would put together the, you know, the, we would run the courses that we run throughout the year and revise and update them and, and get new people into teaching them. So we did our mold courses and our indoor environmental consulting courses. But then we also would add some special, what we called at the time, IAQ advanced type courses. And we would have people like Dr. Wow come in and others and speak about more advanced topics. And it was a nice small event, but then we outgrew the lodge up here at Indian Lake. Three years back, we went to Hidden Valley, which is another nice little resort up here, and we continued pretty much in the same vein. And then last year, we moved it over to Seven Springs Resort after they bought out Hidden Valley. And then uh, this year, we're going to research to practice. So I brought in, actually, where I get most of my people is from the show. So Dr. Jeffrey Siegel is coming in from the University of Toronto. He'll be our keynote. He's going to talk about what areas of research would be most applicable to practitioners out there and, and how we can get them to start to implement the, 
the results essentially from this research into their practice. So we've got Dr. Siegel. We've got uh, we brought Joe Spurgeon in this year after having him on the show, talking to him about mold-related issues. We've got a full half day on mold. We've got a half day on building science. We've got Nate Adams who was on our show. Uh, he's an energy guy, and and there's been a lot in the you know while we're talking current events, there's been a lot in the energy efficiency world. And primarily by that world, I'm looking at the Energy Vanguard blog by Allison Bales, another former guest. If anybody doesn't get that, you ought to get that. Go to energyvanguard.com. Allison puts out a great blog on building science-related issues. He's a, he's a phys- physics guy. He um, used to teach physics at the college level, and then he got more involved in building his own home and building science, and now he's kind of the you know, the blogger to the building science community out there. So, you know, we, we, we've talked to uh, Allison Bales on the show before. We also had people like Nate Adams on the show and Richard Rue, who's going to speak this year. He's going to talk a little bit about his take on building science. And if I can kind of summarize it for you, he feels like um, we maybe don't customize homes enough with respect especially to the HVAC system. So he builds a good tight envelope, but then every HVAC system and the mechanicals are specifically designed for that home. And in particular, they're looking at things like the duct runs because we know that we lose a lot of efficiency by having you know flex duct that droops and isn't stretched out properly and doesn't have the right uh, you know alignment within the the system, or we use flex that's too long, etc. And that's another good blog that Allison just did recently. There was a great research project that came out about how somewhat minor changes in the direction of flex duct, but also in how well the flex duct is extended. You know, you have to extend it to the right length. So you have to cut it at the right length and then extend it so that it's fully extended and it's it's running the way it should be. It's working the way it should be. If you don't, there's pretty good information about how much you lose with, with respect to efficiency in that system. Uh, we've got Wei Tang coming in. Dr. Tang has been on the show. He's going to be a part of our mold panel. Uh, we've got a third day that's devoted to disaster restoration. I don't think enough people from the indoor air quality world and the cleaning and restoration world get together to discuss how what we do affects each other. I mean, anytime you do cleaning, restoration, it affects indoor air quality. Anytime we recommend cleaning or restoration, obviously it you know, it affects those guys. So looking forward to a great conference. We've got the mold courses, of course. Those are actually going very well. We've got the indoor environmental consulting course. We've got the water restoration technician, Triska. The Tri-State Restorers are sponsoring a water restoration technician course. It's only 175 bucks for members. Membership's only 35 for individuals, 100 for corporate uh, just a great Eva King's coming in. I forgot to mention Eva from the IAQA. Um, they, I've got a, a lineup that I really should go through more names, but in the uh, in the spirit of getting getting moving on to the next subject, I'm going to just cut it there. Thanks, Joe. Uh, I think you I think you, you certainly provided uh, you know the background on the event and also what we have planned. Uh, it's it's going to be great. 
Tell us what's going on with government affairs. Okay. I am the government affairs chair for both for the IICRC, the Institute for Inspection, Cleaning, and Restoration Certification. And it's been an interesting role. I've been in that role now for over two years. And um, I was formerly on the and continue to be on the Indoor Air Quality Association's Government Affairs Committee as well. And, and working together has been really interesting. And I think it's also helped, um, helped us make some of somewhat of an impact with certain government agencies. Um, not all, unfortunately, I wish we would have been a little more successful in New York. And that's the most recent news, I guess, is that New York is now going to require people that are doing mold remediation or assessment of mold issues to have a state license, and that actually goes into effect the beginning of next year. I don't know how they're going to do it because I don't think even one training provider, maybe one now, has been approved. And what's really going to make it tough for them is they did not accept any grandfathering. So let me give you an example. Uh, Richard Shaughnessy, who was a guest on our show, who had done some work in New York in the past and went up and did the, I don't know if it was 48 hours or one of those, you know, uh, news shows about some of the problems that occurred after Katrina or after, uh, uh, which one hit New York, Cliff? Sandy. Sandy, Sandy. after Sandy. And um, him and we we had uh, a, a couple people on, like... Um, Jack uh, Jack Springston, who's a CIH in New York City area, he won't be able to do mold without taking a three-day class from someone who will know much less than he does about mold and getting a state license and passing. It's insane. It just drives me crazy when the states do this. I do understand from their perspective why it was difficult. You've got all these different organizations coming to you saying, you should accept our certification, you should accept our training. You've got the ACAC gang, you've got um, IICRC, of course. We had others that I, I don't even want to mention, you know, that come out of the woodwork when this stuff occurs. They're, they're smaller organizations that are mold-specific, basically, and they have what they call a certification program. And I think the state just threw up their hands and said, you know what? We're not even going to bother trying to figure out who to grandfather in. We're just going to go ahead and um, require that anybody that wants to do mold inspections or mold contracting in the state of New York take a class. They did, I'm happy to say, choose the uh, course outline that I've been using for years with respect to the number of days. It's a two-day mold worker class and a three-day mold supervisor class and then they have a three-day mold assessor class so you have to take that class take the exam written by the training provider and approved by the state and if you pass that very very similar to the way asbestos abatement and consulting people are licensed you will then get your state license we've also got changes in new hampshire New Hampshire recently passed a law that's going to require people that do mold assessment, once again mold, to have a license. And I wouldn't be surprised if in the not-too-distant future they do the same thing for people doing mold 
remediation or contracting. I've heard some rumblings in California that they're looking at this again. Um, D.C., the District of Columbia, has passed a law that will require licensing, and once again, it looks like you're going to have to take their specific mold-related training, etc. That one's not quite finalized. Virginia, this is what, it just blows my mind, Cliff. Virginia and Missouri both have repealed their mold licensing. Texas tried to, but there was a battle and, and the IAQA forces went in and didn't want to see that repealed and, and Texas kept the law in place. Florida, there was some thoughts about repeal, but they have kept that law in place. You do have to have a license as an assessor or a contractor in Florida. And um, they are now working on some standard operating procedures, which have not been finalized. The first set didn't really come out very well. IAQA, IICRC worked together along with actually a coalition of Florida insurance companies and stopped that from, uh, or worked with the state to show them that that wasn't really the best practices the best standard operating procedures to require in Florida and they're working on revising that again. New Jersey tried to pass some legislation requiring licensing of mold that did not make it. So we've had a real mixed bag. Some states have licensed it and then repealed it. Other states have licensed it and then continued to license it to this day. Your your Florida, your Texas Maryland has a law that says you have to have a license, but they never funded the law, so you can't really get a license. It's a mess in Maryland. Um, now we've got the new one in New York and New Hampshire. Now, the other indoor air quality related issue that I think could be an even bigger, um, I guess a bigger issue long term, is that um, New York is now requiring that building owners identify if they have cooling towers and then inspect those cooling towers for Legionella. And that came as the result of some, uh, what, what I would call a cluster. I don't know if it fits the specific epidemiological you know, definition for a cluster, but a, a group of people in the New York City area that developed Legionnaire's disease and they tracked it down to one of a couple of different cooling towers. And now the state really quickly actually passed a law requiring that people register their cooling towers and have them inspected for Legionella. So those are the biggest regulatory related issues that I see currently on the horizon. Not a whole lot with respect to water damage. Of course, building science is, you know, pretty much codes are pretty much what, um, you know, uh, help to drive the building science area. And those have actually updated pretty well. And, and they've really been working closely with the building science community to make sure that they're, you know, putting in place some code changes that have been really uh, vetted closely by a lot of the building science community. Well, what else would you like to discuss with listeners? Thanks for the uh, really thorough uh, update of, of what's going on with the uh, licensing issues. 
another thing I've seen, and it just happened this week in uh, Pittsburgh, actually, a um, hospital in Pittsburgh, United uh, UPMC, University of Pittsburgh Medical Center, uh, Presby Hospital, had a mold issue in an intensive care unit here. Uh, I th- believe it's the cardiovascular intensive care unit, and they found mold related issues in that unit and now the latest reporting is and i think this is still a little you know hasn't been fleshed out completely yet but that they're they're starting to look at two people that died that were in that unit and starting to think that maybe the mold related issues in the unit had something to do with these folks death even though they were heart transplant patients that has kind of spread to other hospitals in the region, and I would not I would not be surprised if it didn't spread to other hospitals around the country, and I'm starting to get calls, and so are the other consultants in our area getting calls about mold in hospitals, and, and it seems to have really kind of lit the fire, at least under our local people here, with respect to having an assessment done of their buildings to make sure they don't have mold issues. Another recent News release that I wanted to mention is that the Indoor Air Quality Association has hired a new executive director. I thought that was great news after their um, after their consolidation with ASHRAE, the American Society of Heating, Refrigeration, and Air Conditioning Engineers. They were kind of uh, there was a while there where they didn't have an executive director. They recently hired an executive director, and I'll get her name. Actually, John, if you're if you can text me or um, type out her name on the chat board. I'd appreciate it. And then uh, hopefully, this was just last week, I believe, hopefully we'll be able to get her on the show here once she gets settled in. Another big recent event that um, occurred while we were on our summer break, although we did put out an announcement and we did replay the show we had, Dr. Phil Moray unfortunately passed over the summer here. He was a pioneer and, um, you know, a a mentor for many people in the indoor air quality industry. And um, very sad to see Phil had gone, but we do have a a great show with him. In fact, when I re-listened to it, it was was tremendous. Um, Just picked up some great information from Dr. Moray. Um, And so that was sad news we had to report while we were on our break. Uh, Stephanie Sears is the new executive director from the Indoor Air Quality Association. Thank you, John. Much appreciated. The other things I've seen just briefly that have been um, kind of leading the news with respect to indoor air and you know indoor indoor environments in general, there's been a lot more lead poison type either settlements or judgments recently. One I just noticed, and, and by the way, I, I pulled a lot of these from our newsletter we send out every week with the show announcement. I put some recent events in there, some articles or links to research, etc. cetera. Uh, there's been quite a bit recently on lead poisoning and lead settlements and lead judgments, so that issue is not dead and even asbestos. Um, I've been seeing recently some pretty significant asbestos fines. I think the disaster restoration industry is is doing a better job of making sure they're not disturbing asbestos-containing materials, but it still amazes me how many people are out there just cutting into materials without doing an inspection whatsoever. And 99... Lowe's, I think. 
Uh, Lowe's got a, I think Lowe's are one of the home, uh, one of the groups. Well, that, Lowe's, I think, got, got a huge fine. Yeah, for the lead-based paint. Yes. Um, any of these groups that are <clears throat> subcontracting window replacement, they really need to be careful because EPA has been watching that very carefully. They're not uh, letting people just go out and do window replacement without keeping an eye on it and making sure they're following the lead renovation repair and painting rule, which requires that you take certain precautions whenever you're going to disturb lead-based paint. And the same thing is true with uh, people doing disaster restoration. You know, you go in and you, you've got an older home. Cliff and I are actually working on one right now. And I was pleased that the contractor was very quick to set up an asbestos and lead inspection. I don't think the previous contractor, we came in after another contractor had been there. They hadn't done that. Fortunately, it was negative, but you just never know. Um, I just had a guy, one of my clients um, got an OSHA inspection, and um, fortunately, we had done an asbestos inspection prior to removing this pipe insulation, and the pipe insulation was obviously fiberglass. There was no question, but the school asked me, are we required to get an asbestos test? And I said, yes, you, you must, according to the National Emission Standard for Hazardous Air Pollutants, prior to renovation or demolition, if you are demolishing a structure, you must have an asbestos inspection of that structure. And this is for anything more than four units. So any apartment building more than four units, any commercial building prior to demolition, you must have an asbestos inspection. And prior to a renovation that will disturb construction materials, you must have an asbestos inspection. Fortunately, these folks took my advice got the inspection in spite of the fact that it was about 300 feet of pipe that was obviously fiberglass insulation. About a week later, OSHA came in to investigate. Apparently, they had a complaint about an employee that wasn't happy that he had to do this, this work or be a part of doing this type of work. And when they came in, the first thing they asked for was the report on the asbestos. And fortunately, we had it. So, these, these current events, you know, they're, they're current and sometimes they're continuing. I've been dealing with asbestos since 1987. It hasn't gone away, and I don't believe it's going to go away. So, um, and thanks, John, for posting the uh, remodeling. We've got a $500,000 penalty over the sub-lead paint rule violation. So, very helpful. All right, Cliff, I wanted to go into a couple yeah. other things, but... I'm, Go thinking, ahead. I'm um, thinking maybe we should break touch on IICRC stuff. Um, let me or hit something it real quick. Else you'd rather talk, no, talk no. About. Let me let me because this is a big topic, and I I've been almost two years now. I decided that um, I would go ahead and allow my name to be submitted to run for the board of directors actually three years now the first year i didn't get in the second year i got in and, and for those that aren't aware there's a group of shareholders that sort of own the iicrc there's 14 or 15 regional organizations trisk is one of them the tri-state restores and um then we've got three individuals it's kind of an unusual setup it's uh, only allowed in one state uh, the corporate Papers are in Washington, it's the state of Washington. And I really was encouraged by 
some of the work that Patrick Winters had done. And, and, you know, over the years, Cliff and I have talked a lot about the IICRC. It's a tough organization to, to really pin down and, and, and really describe for people. And so I've been on the board almost two years now, and I'm the second vice president. And it's been an interesting couple of years. I've, I've seen a lot of the inner workings at the, at the organization. And I, one, one thing I will say, I've been very impressed with um, – the programs that they have developed, even though they call them a certification. And I, I've been very clear all along. I don't think they are a certification. They're a certificate program, but that's something that, you know, they're trying to work out. And I think they've come a long way with respect to getting people to, to see that. And, um, but I was very impressed with how those programs were developed and maintained and the, you know, the, the structure of things and the uh, requirements for instructors to teach those courses. I think they take them very seriously. There's been questions about, you know, whether they were um, lean toward the existing instructors and not getting in new instructors. I think a lot of that's being fixed. Uh, I've seen a lot of good things happening. And, and then we hit the, the wall when, uh, you know the 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 um, the board decided to put out requests for proposals, which was been another big change. There's been a lot of you know requirements for requests for proposals on everything, and the management company requests for proposals went out, and we got you know we got responses in and chose a new company as opposed to the one that had been there for 30 years. And it's been a rough road, a really rough road. And for all the registrants out there and the instructors and the the sponsors of courses. I, I, I apologize for the, for the problems that have occurred along the way. I know it's been rough um, and it's been really difficult for the board as well. And especially the executive committee we've been meeting. I, I can't tell you how many hours a week trying to make sure that this goes as smoothly as possible. And, and things are starting to smooth out, but it was a real rough road for a long time. I'm I'm gonna kind of leave it at that at this point. I think Cliff, because I'm Joe, still Joe. Joe, before you go, I, I just have one question, and I, you know, I would just like you know confirmation if this is true or correct the record if it's not. Isn't it true that a lot of the problems are, are based on the fact that the software program that was used by the previous management company was written by a, a sole practitioner? Um, uh, you know, software developer, and he's a one-person, one-man operation, and he's getting older, and he's the only one that really understands uh, the software and how to use it and how to make changes and, and and how to correct it. And you really can't get other software to interface with it. I mean, that's one of the things I've heard. And, you know, you can comment. If uh, you would. You're, you're right on. I mean, that is absolutely, that has been by far the biggest issue with the transition. We still cannot get the software to print the cards, okay? We've, we've, we've gotten it to the point where the certificates are going out, but everybody who's an IICRC person knows you get a card, and that card lists all your different certifications and all you know, your, your, your achievements with the IICRC, and we still cannot get that program to interface properly and print those cards out. And it's been a real nightmare, and, and I know people have been really disappointed by that, but, you know, this is the, 
the problem when you've got an older system that doesn't interface well, that's been patched for I don't know how many years, and then you move it from one place to another, and bang, things just don't work. Um, and well, I, I, I guess another thing I heard is that the old program is written in a very outdated computer language as well. It, you know, it's not even used anymore, and that causes additional problems. Absolutely, that's that's all true. It's not an excuse. Um, it just is what it is. It's a very old program. We only have one person we can turn to to make these critical changes. He has been trying, um, but it's been almost overwhelming. Every time you update a uh, a certificate, or you know how you remember Microsoft Expression, it drove me crazy, or, or even Mozilla Firefox. Right. Every time you turn around, they want you to update. They've got a patch. They've got a fix. They've got this. Every time the new company would update something, bang, we would have a problem. And it just continued to snowball. Now, some people were probably going, well, get a new system. And, and it's not as easy as that, but it is being done. We're going to get a new system. We're going to get through this. We will fix the problems. But it has been a real difficult time for everyone involved. Anything else, Cliff? Thanks, Joe. Thank you. Hey, what we're going to do, we're going to run into, uh, it's 1233. We're going to to thank our sponsors, and then we're going to bring on John Downey. The Indoor Air Quality Association, a nonprofit, multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at iaqa.org. Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions. We use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Check them out at legends-enviro.com. And, of course, our marquee sponsors, John Don Products, or restoration and abatement contractor shop. Visit them at johndon.com. Clean Facts, the number one information source for cleaning and restoration professionals. Check them out at cleanfactswithanx.com. IAQ.net and Healthy Indoors Magazine a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions available at iaq.net. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IAQ Radio when you acquire about their products or services. All right, John. Got some music for Mr. Downey. Research. John Downey, do we have you on the line? You do indeed, Joe. How are you? Great, John. How are you, sir? I'm fine, thanks. Good, good. How about them Buckeyes? 
about All right. Now we're going to talk about things that I really care about. <laughs> that was a pretty close game, wasn't it? Yeah, that was. You know, when your team plays poorly and you win 38 to nothing, you know you've got a good thing going. Right, yeah. Down to the last two minutes, I think it was the shock as to who was going to win. Right? Yeah, it was, it, was, <laughs> it was a nail-biter the whole time. A nail-biter. <laughs> well, I hope you and your family are doing well, and, and thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. John, John, Joe, you want to ask the first question? Yeah, if you don't mind, um, John, you know, you, you've kind of taken a different tack here. You, you used to be the the founder of Clean Facts, and they were kind of more reporting on, you know, events in the industry, and then you would have some articles in there, and, and they were technical articles, articles to some degree, but now you're really into the world of research and um, finding good research articles and papers related to cleaning and restoration. How difficult of a change has that been, and how difficult is it to find good research in that industry? Well, I guess to, to begin, I want to give credit where it's due for the journal, because the, 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 what, the, what the seed that germinated into what became the uh, Journal of Cleaning, Restoration, and Inspection I uh, came from Mike Berry, and it was more than 20 years ago when Mike, uh, when I was still with Clean Facts, and in one of many uh, conversations I had with Mike, actually in many conversations I had with Mike, he suggested that um, I needed to start a science journal for the cleaning and restoration industries. And uh, he then painted the picture of what is today the journal, and at the time, there, I couldn't figure out a way to make it work because, quite frankly, uh, it is not something that you can make money doing. And I was in uh, Clean Facts was my for-profit business, uh, and so as a consequence of that, uh, it, although I, I I kept it in the back of my mind, I started thinking over the years, you know, what would make sense as far as this idea of a journal? It made total sense. The idea made total sense to me as the far as the economics did not. As the business, I couldn't figure out a business plan. And as time went on and I had conversations with people, it became clear that if there was going to be a, an organization in the industry uh, that would, could and would properly support something like the journal, it would be the IICRC, which is a certification and uh, standard writing organization. I mean, that's what it does, and it's a nonprofit. So uh, about three years ago now, uh, we started looking at it uh, at the IICRC, and two years ago, actually about two and a half years ago, uh, an RFP went out, and um, initially, actually, I was not awarded the RFP. It went to another publishing company that, uh, subsequently found that it, their proposal didn't work, so they pulled out, uh, and uh, the IICRC turned to me to uh, uh, maintain, you know, basically manage publishing as well as editing the journal. So the, the journal has its roots in Mike Berry's uh, idea 20-some years ago, uh, and that was to basically provide science-based information, technical information uh, for the cleaning and restoration industries, which did not have much, you know, there wasn't much of that type of information. There was probably more 
than we realized, but it was there wasn't a way to disseminate it. I mean, I, I disseminated some of it through clean facts, uh, but those aren't lively articles. <laughs> they aren't for your average um, technician who is, you know, really looking to build a nice business, uh, but isn't, you know, a highly technical person. The, the people that that want and need this type of information are people like instructors, but also the most technical people who are, are the customers of the IICRC, like the certified firms, the master cleaners, master stores, the flooring inspectors. Those are the people that uh, have the have an appetite for this type of information. And um, starting to, we are, in fact, I'm almost finished with the 11th issue. We've published 10 issues beginning in February of 2014. I'm almost finished with number 11, uh, and it's uh, it's been very well received in the industry. To your question about the, you know, how, how difficult is it to, to get good information, relevant information? You know, I, you know as, as we talked via email before the call uh, in the last few days, I was thinking about that, and I was looking at uh, the 10 previous issues. One thing that's interesting is that only about a quarter to a third of the articles in the journal are specifically based on research. Uh, now, many of the others utilize research as the, that has been conducted as the backdrop for what they're writing about. In other words, there's, there's, a, there's research behind it, but they're not necessarily, it's not necessarily about research. Like we had a significant article uh, on understanding pH, which you know, to it, apparently is kind of controversial in the uh, cleaning industry, especially in the cleaning industry, uh, to some extent. And uh, it was based on a paper that was uh, produced by, I believe it was Al Ludke, uh, several years ago for the IICRC. It just never got published. So it isn't research exactly, but it is science. So we're looking at science, we're looking at research. Uh, one of the things I would say about the journal is we don't call it a science journal because we don't feel that we are at the point yet where we can uh, clear that bar. A technical journal, you know, the, it is a peer review journal, but the standards aren't as high as they would be for a science journal. Uh, and, and that was another suggestion, a recent suggestion from Mike was to you know, basically to publish a technical journal. Uh, don't don't try and do a science journal at this point, but let's get good technical information out to people, develop a, a peer review process, and let it build from there. So um, there there is a fair amount of technical information out there that I've been able to access. I have a feeling there's a lot of information that so far has escaped my grasp, and some of it I may not be able to get to because a lot of the um, research that's done in these industries are done by private companies, and they're doing it uh, for their own purposes. So, uh, and, you know, it's really only when we get into academic research, if the IICRC gets to the point where it can conduct research, uh, that it makes it easier to, to get data. Um, I found a lot of the 
uh, research that I have been able to access and publish in the journal is not directly related or wasn't done specifically for the cleaning industry or restoration industry, but was done a fair amount of it in, in academic uh, areas for re remediation, which I know is the area that you know best, Joe. Uh, and it's it's like some of that research is close cousins to what our readers are are what they do, uh, what their business is about. So it's close, and and so because of that, we're able to tie research into the practices of cleaners and restorers. I've got a couple follow-up questions. Is it getting easier for you now, John? I, I can see maybe the, the first issue being the most difficult because no one really understood it. Is it getting easier? Or are more people sending you stuff now than, than formerly did? I would say the answer is a qualified yes, it is getting easier. It's not so much that... Well, actually, that's it isn't even a qualified yes. It is a yes. I am getting more... People, uh, as as the word gets out about the journal, more people who are approaching me and and are have volunteered either information that they have, that, you know, that they've developed, or to develop information for the journal. Um, so in that sense, it, it's definitely easier. I'm not having to search so much. There's still a little bit of a struggle though because. Uh, it's such a different paradigm from a traditional trade magazine, which I think that's a paradigm most people uh, have, and, and that is where the information, it's okay to have information that uh, kind of paints a nice picture of the products that, that you make or you sell. Right. Uh, and that's not the point here. So I've I've had a few... Now, say uh, difficult conversations with people where I I had to turn down, uh, and, and maybe and then not necessarily turn it down permanently, but turn down what was submitted to me, uh, and then explain what I need. And and I've had a couple cases already where they have come back and they have provided me with um, with information with articles that did fit the the style of the journal. I've only had one. Go, go ahead. ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I interrupted you. Uh, I was going to say I've only had one uh, feature in the journal that was we we ended up having to permanently shelve uh, because in, in that case all three peer reviewers uh, just <laughs> they kind of rejected it out of hand. Um, but I've had several articles, and and, this, and and Joe, you're familiar with an article that's going to be in the October issue uh, on condition two uh, uh, remediation, and uh, I and this is a great example of an article that uh, the peer reviewers played a vital role in improving and making this a much better and more useful. Uh, article or paper uh, for the readers because they they challenged the author, uh, and but they did it in a way that and, and the author received it in a way that was productive, and it's an area that 
frankly, I don't know that well. I'm not, you know, I don't have a background in that. If it's cleaning-related stuff, you know, I go back <laughs> way too long in the cleaning side of the industry. But remediation uh, is something I don't know that well. So I lean heavily on peer reviewers, and they have been very valuable in several articles that we've had in the journal. What sort of comment do you get back from technicians, uh, or, or have, have you gotten any feedback uh, on the articles and on the information you know, that's in there? Do they find it valuable? Yeah, it's interesting. Sometimes I'm amazed at uh, some of the feedback I've gotten from technicians. Uh, the that I mean they they gobble it up. I mean I I've had several. I've been traveling a fair amount to some of the conferences uh, and conventions uh, since I've been uh, editor of the journal, and I've had a lot of very strong positive feedback. Honestly, for me, and I'm the editor, uh, a lot of this stuff is really hard to plow through. But for guys that are really interested in that, uh, they, they, uh, I've had very, very positive feedback. I've had, uh, I've had a lot of uh, suggestions that we've taken up, one of which is uh, for the last few issues, we've added an executive summary where we basically give the, an outline of what the, is, going to, is in the longer uh, article or paper. Uh, to people so that they can sample it and get the general gist of it before they invest, you know, a fair amount of time in a four or five thousand word uh, technical paper. John, what? Joe? I'm curious with you know with your strong background in the cleaning world and you still your family carpet cleaning business is still thriving as I understand it. Um, what? within the research you have reviewed has has surprised you or maybe changed the way you do things? In my own business? Yes. Uh, I, we really have, it really hasn't caused uh, any, any uh, changes of significance in my business because of Frankly, the, the fact that I, I don't want to sound like I'm a know-it-all, but I, I, I have a pretty good foundation uh, in what I'd call the cleaning arts or cleaning science. Um, so as far technically the way we do business, this hasn't really changed in many ways. It, what it has done is, is some of the articles, it reinforces the, the decisions that, we have made in terms of the way, you know, we clean and our approach to the cleaning process. Although, honestly, within a cleaning business, as a, taking off my editor's hat of a technical journal and putting on my cleaning business owner's hat, um, I, I really have felt going back 30 or 40 years that the key to success in a, in, in a carpet cleaning business is the way you serve your customers. Uh, my grandfather used to, to say, and I never knew my grandfather, but my father passed this along. He said, nine out of ten people won't know, know a carpet, a, a clean carpet from a dirty carpet, 
but they'll know if you care. And so, you know, that has always been a very strong component of, of what we bring to the table. We try and do things. We, we try to, to give our, way exceed the expectations of our customers in terms of customer service. And, and as far as the way we do the work, the journal really hasn't changed uh, that in any significant way. On the edges, here and there, uh, we've applied some new things that I've learned through uh, editing the journal. Well, how do how do you evaluate how clean a carpet is? Is, is there um, research on that? Is there you know? I mean, well, there there is research on that uh, that has been done. I mean, Mike Berry did um, some some research, but it's now fifteen twenty years old for the most part. Uh, but it was actually it was good research. One of the projects I was involved with him on. Uh, I mean, if, if unfortunately, mo- the 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 general rule is you you assess cleanliness by um, observation, what you see, and on a carpet, what it's it's the stuff you can't see that can cause a problem because carpet is a three dimensional textile and it it hides a lot of stuff. In, in, it's interesting that you bring this up. One of the, and this was foundational to the way we clean carpet. One of the things that we do is we we make sure when we clean, we have a visual. We can see the water that's coming out of the carpet. We can see whether it's dirty or it's clean. And as long as we have dirt coming out of uh, the, 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 what carries dirt out of carpet in wet extraction is water. So as long as that water is dirty, we know that it's not clean. Once we get the water clear or reasonably clear, you're not going to clean a carpet uh, to a state, you know, to a like new state. You just won't do it because you're working against density and gravity. Uh, But you can get it to the point where it's reasonably clear water and therefore you can believe that it's reasonably clean. There's a whole process that goes into that, but that's the way we look at it. We're we're actually visually, you know, I, I was ta- I was kind of disparaging the the visual uh, that you look at for cleaning carpet, uh, but and we're kind of doing the same thing. Although what we're doing is we're looking to see if the stuff that's carrying the dirt out is clean, or if it's still carrying more dirt out. And how do you, you know, Mike, Joe? One, go ahead. One, or you know, just just one comment on you know to go on what John was saying. You know, the greatest difficulty in developing uh, a scale of carpet cleanliness is really what type of soil, you know, is in the carpet. You know, every geography in the United States has a different soil makeup. And then uh, other factors get added to it. Like, you know, do they cook in the house? And what sort of cooking do they do? And, you know, what's being tracked in? And do they have pets? And I mean, just the, just trying to get a bunch of scientists to agree on the test soil is a huge project in itself. And that that's for sure. I I am I I well actually we just completed our work, but I was on a uh, committee that was assisting the the Carpet and Rug Institute in making changes to their seal of approval program 
related to carpet care. And I can't tell you how many hours we spent uh, debating the, the, the quote-unquote test soil that CRI uses in, in their assessments. And, so, and, and that's, that's a relatively simple one that they have. Uh, when you get into things like, and you bring up a really great, several great points, but you know, I can tell you uh, from my own business, Probably the the most significant reason people have carpet clean is because of pets, and so it's that type of soil, the hair and other assorted things that pets bring to carpet, uh, that is really important to the consumer. Those be removed. You know, when I when I had my carpet cleaning, the biggest reason someone had it clean was family was coming over. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, that too. <laughs> <laughs> Prior to Go Christmas, huh? those were the big. When are the big times of the year? Uh, yeah, what What are the big times of the year for carpet cleaning? You know, in my business, in my business, except the basically from uh, some, from about Christmas until about St. Patrick's Day, uh, or maybe a little after. Depending on on the weather, we're pretty much busy all the time. You know, we'll have ebbs and flows, but we don't really get. I mean, yeah, there is a rush. One of the things I noticed was a rush uh, before graduation because uh, people have big graduation parties, whether it's high school or college, uh, these big parties, and they'll want to get it clean. Then, of course, that's wonderful because they're big parties, and we end up cleaning before and after graduation. Nice, yeah. Uh, problems but you know they, again there's 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 a lot of different i think company is a big uh, motivator but at least 80 percent of my customers have pets dogs and or cats hmm. and it may be closer to 90 percent. so it's a big driver and they so they have those and then from that you know when people are coming visitors um that then is kind of the motivator uh-oh. Uh-oh. It's not, I'm used to the smell, but I don't want my mother-in-law to be used to that smell. Yeah, and I don't want Fluffy's hair all over her new jacket when she leaves here or whatever, you know. Exactly, yeah. Well, John, we're running a little low on time. I've got one final question. Maybe Cliff will uh, as well. In your 10 additions to this point, what... Uh, piece of information you know something new you learned give us give us a tip for listeners out there something new you learned about any topic you want that you'd like to make sure more people know about you know what i think i i don't know i'm not sure exactly how that this will will work for what you're looking for uh but what I have learned is that there is a, a genuine thirst for the kind of information that the journal provides. And it's diverse in terms of what we cover in the journal. You know, fire, smoke, water, remediation, carpet cleaning, uh, a very diverse variety of things. Uh, there, another thing that I've learned that's kind of related to that, and it, it, 
it isn't something that we get directly from the journal, is that there are a lot of people out there that are doing a lot of unscientific uh, testing. They're, you call them case studies. They're experimenting and they're uh, and doing different uh, methodologies and learning those. I think that's very helpful. And that has its place. Cliff? No, I think what John, I would just like to say ditto to what you know John just said. I really think that these unscientific studies, these case studies are very, very helpful because, you know, what happens is I think a lot of the reason for the case study is that there's something unique or different or unusually challenging there, or it's an opportunity to try something that's out of the box. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, there are businesses made out of this, John. I mean, you know, you and I both know people that have, you know, you take Kirk Bolden or whatever, you know, they find a new way to extract carpet or, you know, the things that Weaver invented and on and on, you know. Exactly. Uh, it, it all it takes is just one idea, one out-of-the-box thought, and they're off and running and can create a very successful business, you know, that helps people in our industry who then in turn help their clients who are really society. Oh, I think we yeah. lost the Z, man. But uh, John, I'm still here. oh, okay, sorry, I lost you there for a second. Um, John, before you go, what article is there? One article that you got the most feedback on you, that that seemed to catch people's attention the most? Probably uh, the article that got the most attention uh, was the, I believe it is the first article in the first issue. Uh, it was was written by Jerry Blaylock, uh, and it was titled The Role of Vapor Pressure and Enthalpy in Wood Drying, which actually I think you guys uh, interviewed uh, Jerry uh, on that. Yep. Uh, right. it, it was kind of out, outside of the box, kind of what you're talking about. He, he did his own research and, and developed uh, ideas, and I, and part, when you say, when I tell you that that was probably the most, most influential, it was also the first article in the first issue and so it you know it had the advantage of that newness as well uh there have been lots of other articles that have have been very well received uh but that one is really the one that strikes uh, sticks out and it also took me the longest to edit so i will never forget it <laughs> that took forever well and by this the is... way I, I just um just a quick note that um uh, uh, Jerry is having some health issues, and uh, for your listeners uh, who are inclined to um, spiritual things, you know, I'm sure he would appreciate prayers. Well, thank you, John. That's that's good to know, and we'll we'll uh, pass that along. Listen, um, before we go, is there anything you'd like to add before we take off? Uh, just one thing, and that is, since I have the opportunity. Uh, for listeners, if they are interested in contributing either as potential authors for the journal or as peer reviewers, uh, if I can, I, if it's okay, I'll, I'll give my email address. Please contact me, and I'll give you uh, information. Sure. The email is the email is J Downey D O W N E Y at I I C R C. 
Great, John. Hey, thanks for joining us. Um, we, we really appreciate all you do for the industry and also uh, in joining us. I look forward to seeing you in a couple weeks from today, actually. John will be one of the presenters uh, at our conference, and we're going to do a little research there, and I'll talk to you next week about um, you know some of the ideas I have, John, and maybe you can make them better. Sounds great. Thank you, Joe. Thanks, Cliff. All right. Thank you, John. This is Radio Joe Hughes saying thanks to this week's guest, Mr. John Downey. Great stuff, as always, to, of course, my co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. Good show, Cliff. Always fun, Joe. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon, too. And, of course, to our engineer, John, you got to have faith. And most importantly, to our growing group of loyal listeners. All right, we're back now, folks. Start to hit those downloads again. We were were gone for a while, but we're back. And let's see that number start to climb one more time. We'll be back next Friday at noon for the next episode of IAQ Radio. This has been another IAQ Radio production.